Now then, if you've come tonight thinking, this guy's just going to tell me how to save Mormons, then I think you need to fall asleep. Because um, that's not what I'm going to do, really. <laughs> yeah. Because there's, there's, there's no sort of magic words to use or anything to share. Many Mormons are coming to faith and through all kinds of means. The Lord moves in all kinds of different ways. So tonight, I just want to give you a quick overview. I'm probably going to give you too much information. But don't worry about that because if you really want the PowerPoint or or the notes afterwards, I'll send them to you. Uh, But I want to give you a lot of information about the Mormons and then just some tips on on speaking to Mormons. But I just want to start with a a little video clip. We'll return with how Dracula got his groove back. Hello. Oh, great. Mormons. (laughs) I love that. Now, um, Mormons are also known as the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You do get some Mormons that are a little bit uh, funny about this. If you call them Mormons, I've had one or two say, oh, we're we're not Mormons, we're the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So I often sort of say, well, just remind me what you call your choir back in Utah. The Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Yeah, that's okay, yeah. And um, But basically, they want to be known as the Church of Jesus Christ. Notice the Jesus Christ in bigger letters there, because they're trying to make a statement about something, which we're going to think about tonight. And um, I've already mentioned, back in 2015, I spent a couple of weeks out in Utah uh, with an organization called Utah Partnerships for Christ. And uh, there we had a fantastic time. We, we went to the Salt Lake Temple, which you can see on the picture there. Of course, they wouldn't let us in. Um, but you can go in the grounds and they've got just magnificent buildings. They've got a massive conference center uh, where they do all their sort of general authority stuff twice a year. Um, we, were, we were giving out tracts and talking to Mormons outside the gates uh, to the entrance there because if you go in, they, they tend to chuck you out. Uh, but we managed to do some witnessing there. We also spent a week in a place called Manti where they do what is called the Manti Miracle Pageant. It's the fourth oldest Mormon temple in in the States. It's just south of Salt Lake City. And there, every night for two weeks, you have up to 10,000 Mormons gathering for this massive production of the history of Mormonism. It's a brilliant performance, but it's totally fictitious. And they're all there lapping it up. And about 100 Christians every year gather there to witness uh, outside of the pageant there. And then you can go in and watch the pageant as well if... If, uh, if you want to. So I had an, an amazing time and I'll happily bore the socks off you with more about that if you want to have a chat with me later. But uh, when we think about Mormonism, we think about these young missionaries. These, these are the people we normally see. They can be lads, they can be lasses. They can be an older couple as well, a retired couple. But generally you find two males, often from America, but not exclusively. They can come from all over in the world. And they're doing, the, the guys do two years missionary service and... Uh, the girls do 18 months, and it's self-funded. Uh, from being really small, they're taught that the best thing they can do in life is to be a missionary. So they have a little song, which, which the first line is, I hope they call me on a mission. And you see these little Sunday school kids singing this song. So that's the aim, to get them out as missionaries. They all wear name badges. Uh, some of them are reluctant to tell you their first name, but many of them will. Uh, they're always called elder even though they're like 18 or something, you know, uh, elderberry, you know, and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, actually, I once said, a Mormon missionary once told me he had a friend whose surname was Elder. So he was Elder Elder. That's what it said on his badge. And, um, of course, they're wanting to convince you of the truth of the Book of Mormon. We'll talk more about that in a while. But one thing just to make you aware of right from the off is this. And this is not just within Mormonism. Um, this is within lots of, of different groups who would see themselves as Christian groups, but they're aberrant Christian groups, they're cults. Um, they use the same words, but they have completely different meanings. So you could talk to a couple of Mormon missionaries, and you think, what was that guy Tony Brown talking about? These guys are saved. They, they believe are saved by grace alone. They say they believe there's one God. They say the Trinity, that Jesus is their Lord and Savior. They'll, they'll use all the same words, but they mean something different by it. And so you need to be aware of that so you can unpack that with them. Don't just think, oh, well, I think they're okay then. Because it's easy to fall into that trap. And some, uh, some uh, great theologians like this guy has fallen into that trap. 
Osteen is here in the Situation Room. Good to have you here in the Situation Room. Thanks very much for coming in. My pleasure. Well, thanks for having me. You know, so many people are inspired by you. They're moved by you. And I know your congregants, they come to you with questions. Here's a hypothetical question. It may have happened, but you give me an answer. Uh, a member of your congregation comes to you and says, Joel, I really want to vote for Romney, but I'm concerned because he's a Mormon. I'm not sure he's a Christian. What do you say to that congregant? Well, my personal views, Wolf, is that when I hear Mitt Romney say that he believes that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's the Christ raised from the dead, that he's his Savior, that's good enough for me. And I would encourage them in the same way is, you know what, we don't all have the same views. And I realize Mormonism is not traditional Christianity, but I'm probably a little broader and more open in the fact that when somebody loves Jesus and believes they're the Son of God, that's good for me. Because that November... What an idiot. <laughs> Sorry, it's been recorded. I mean, Joel Austin, clueless, absolutely clueless. But there's not only Joel Austin, there are many sort of Christian leaders who would say that Mormons are just another branch of Christianity. I, I read something recently because there's a Mormon uh, newsroom UK, which I follow on Facebook. And there, there was a couple of missionaries who were missionaries up in the Lake Districts when they were over here. They went back to America. But they got connected with some church, or friendly with a church in the Lake District, can't remember its name. And they went back to America and said, look, this church in the Lake District where we, we've been witnessing, uh, they need some money for their roof, um, so can we raise some money? They raised some money. These two Mormon missionaries came back to the Lake District, came with one of, uh, one of the, the, the high-ranking Mormon leaders over there, gave the money to the church, and then the vicar of this church, Terrona, said, I'd have these guys come and preach at my church any week. Really? Uh, president Gordon B. Hinckley, he was the president throughout, I think, the late 70s into the 80s, maybe even into the early 90s. Uh, he was asked uh, if he follows the same Jesus as the Christian church. And this is what he said. No, I don't. The traditional Christ of whom they speak is not the Christ of whom I speak. For the Christ of whom I speak has been revealed in this dispensation of the fullness of times. He, together with the father, appeared to the boy Joseph Smith in the year 1820. And when Joseph left the grove that day, he knew more of the nature of God than all the learned ministers of the gospel of the ages. So this is, this is the, as he was, the living prophet of the Mormon church saying, we don't follow the same Christ as you Christians. It's a, it's a different Christ. And yet the Mormons you meet and the Mormon missionaries you meet are adamant that they're Christians. You know, when uh, Mormonism first began, and we'll talk about Joseph Smith in a moment, um, they denounced Christianity. They got a, Joseph Smith got a message from God saying that all Christianity is corrupt. All, all their professors are corrupt. You should have nothing to do with them. But today, and especially over the last 20, 30 years, they've been really pushing this idea, we're just another Christian church. And they want to be seen as such. Uh, again, not too long ago, I had a chat with a couple of Mormon missionaries and uh, I was challenging them on whether they were Christians or not based on what they believe. And one of the guys got really frustrated with me and he took his name badge off and he slammed it on the table in front of me. And he said, look, Tony, we are the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, as if that made him a Christian. But they're adamant they're Christians. So if you want to annoy Mormons, tell them they're not Christians, but um, don't do that. What about Mormon missionaries then? So Mormon missionaries, uh, they, they, they come over. When they come to this country, they'll go to what's called an MTC, a missionary training center. There are two in the UK. They're both near the temples. There's a temple down in London. There's a temple in Chorley in Lancashire. And they go to this training center. And they're there for two weeks and given some basic training. And then they set off out um, into, into the world, into the UK. Now, if they need to learn a bit of English, they'll stay there maybe a little bit longer, up to six weeks if their English isn't their first language. But then they will be uh, put into an area within the UK into what they call mission areas. And they, their plan for them is to try and convince you of the truth of the Book of Mormon. So they want to talk to you about the Book of Mormon. And what you find with Mormons, unlike Jehovah's Witnesses, it's hard to get rid of Mormons, which is a good thing. You can offend them and they still come back. You know, Jehovah's Witnesses, they're just off in a flash. If they, if they smell a rat, they're off and that's it. We don't want to talk to you. But the Mormons keep coming back. And even though you're showing no interest, 
they will still ask you, you know, after three or four sessions of clearly showing that you're not interested and you have a completely different view, they'll say, well, have you thought about getting baptized in the uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? No, I haven't, strangely enough. But they want you to pray about the Book of Mormon. And they, they take you to a passage um, in, from the Book of Moroni in the Book of Mormon, Moroni 10.4. And they say, this is what you need to read. It says, I would exhort you that ye would ask God, the Eternal Father, in the name of Christ, if these things are not true. And if ye shall ask with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith in Christ, he will manifest the truth of it unto you by the power of the Holy Ghost. So what they basically say is, I know you don't think the Book of Mormon is true, but will you just go and pray about it? Just pray and ask God to, to give you a sign. Ask God, the Holy, the Holy Ghost, to show you that it's true. And then the expectation is then when you do that, the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Ghost as they prefer to call him, will give you a sign and it's a burning in the bosom. So they talk about that is feeling this burning in the bosom. Now I call that indigestion. And, uh, and you know, I, I carry some Gaviscon tablets around for that. But for these guys, no, this is proof. That's all they need to know that the Book of Mormon is truly from God and Joseph Smith was a prophet of God. So everything these guys believe from that point is based on that one feeling. That's all it is. That was enough. And the moment you put them into a corner, they will bear their testimony, which they'll say, I believe the Book of Mormon is true and Joseph Smith is a prophet of God. And they, because they've got this strong testimony. Now we know feelings are deceiving. We don't go on feelings, do we? You know, in Acts 17:11, the Bereans were commended for checking the scriptures against what Paul was saying. It, you know, just, they just didn't have a feeling. Well, let me just go and pray and have a feeling about this and see what I feel about it. One of the things it's good to challenge the Mormons with about this and say, well, have you ever prayed in the same way with, with real intent, with a sincere heart about the Koran? How do you know whether that's true or not? You see, they, they won't do that. So, no, we don't need to do that. Well, why not? How do you know whether it's true or not? Maybe the Holy Ghost will give you a feeling that that's true. I remember talking to a couple of Mormon missionaries and one of them was telling me about his brother. And um, his brother, apparently, both grew up in a Mormon family. They got to an age where they wanted to discover it for themselves. But his brother just didn't get that burning in the bosom. It, it just didn't come to him. And I said, well, what, what did you say to him when he came back? And he said, I, I've just not got it. And he said, well, I went through this passage with him and I said, did you really have a sincere heart? Go away and this time do it with a real sincere heart. And then he'd go away and come back and say, no, I still not felt it. And they said, well, was it with real intent? Real intent, you know. And it was about 20 odd times. But then this guy came back and said, I felt it. And uh, he, he fell into Mormonism completely. See, if you keep going, you're going to feel something eventually. And where's these feelings coming from? Not necessarily from God, or clearly not in the case of Mormonism. But that's what they want you to do. They want you to pray about it, to have this feeling, and they think that feeling is enough to bring you in. And what you need to know then is that the Book of Mormon is the gateway to Mormonism. Because the Book of Mormon and Mormonism are two completely different things. The vast majority of things that Mormons hold true cannot be found in the Book of Mormon. It's not in the Book of Mormon. So you pray about the Book of Mormon. You have this feeling about it. And then you get taught Mormonism. And it's not to be found in the Book of Mormon. In fact, I'll just jump back there and just notice there that it says it calls God the Eternal Father. Well, Mormonism doesn't teach that God is the Eternal Father. So what you've actually got throughout the Book of Mormon is the Book of Mormon contradicts Mormonism. And in places, in a number of places, the Book of Mormon agrees with the Bible. And so you've got this problem. But for the Mormons, of course, and this is something else I maybe should have said right from the off, is that you can never assume you know what a Mormon believes. Someone once said to me, I think it was when we were in Utah, an ex-Mormon bishop, he said to us, he said, the thing is, he said, if you ask ten Jehovah's Witnesses the same question, you'll get ten answers exactly the same. But if you ask 10 Mormons the same question, you'll get 15 different answers. Because they have all these different competing authorities. So they have four books of scripture. Um, and they carry those around with them. So they have the, the Book of Mormon. They have the, it used to be the King James Bible. 
And then they have the Pearl of Great Price and something called Doctrine and Covenants. So they can pull things out of those. And then they've got um, the authorities, the general authorities as they call them. They've got the living, um, the living prophets and, and his two counselors. And then they've got the quorum of the twelve. And these guys can speak truth into their lives as well. And you find that these living prophets have contradicted each other. And so these poor Mormons and these young lads that we're meeting and young lasses that we're meeting, they're, you know, they're still wet behind the ears. You could ask them all these deep questions. Say, I don't know. Is that really what we believe? I don't know. Maybe it is. I don't know. But, oh, I don't believe that. But then you'll find someone else that does believe it. So it's always good to say to them, what do you believe about this? You know, who is Jesus to you? Don't just assume things, but ask them questions and let them tell you. So the Book of Mormon is a gateway into Mormonism. But basically, here's the guy. This is Joseph Smith. He's like the Mormon equivalent, as you look at him, of Catherine Mumford that we were hearing about this afternoon. I mean, he wasn't a good looker, was he? So, in order to make him look a bit better, if you go to Salt Lake City, um, you find he looks like that. <laughs> Dashing superhero, blonde hair, blue eyed. You know, you, you know, it's, it's, you can see the makeover. Yeah, maybe. I'm sure I could, Roger. I'm sure I could. No, we can. No, no. Cessation is saying, no, we can never do that. Yes. Um, so Joseph Smith is integral to Mormonism. It's all about Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith um, is the founder of Mormonism. And apparently when he was a young guy, around about the age of 14, he, he went into the woods to seek after God. And this is what's called the first vision account. He had uh, God the Father and God the Son appeared to him. God the Father in a human body. Mormons believe that God the Father is about six foot one with a beard, is, is, a, is a man. This is what Joseph Smith said in the history of the church. He said, my object in going to inquire of the Lord was to know which of all these sects were right, that I might know which to join. No sooner, therefore, did I get possession of myself so as to be able to speak then I asked the personages who stood above me in the light which of all the sects was, was right and which I should join. I was answered that I must join none of them, for they were all wrong. And the personage who addressed me said that all their creeds were an abomination in his sight, that those professors were all corrupt. Now it's interesting. There are ten first vision accounts. But this is the official one that the Mormon church uses. So in their earlier writings, you can find different versions of the first vision. In some, it was an angel appeared to him. In some, it was just the son who appeared to him. There's all kinds of different accounts, but they're settled on the ones that they want. And what you find is you go around the Mormon museum in Salt Lake City, you find all the stuff they want you to see, all the stuff they want you to believe. But if you dig into their writings, you find something very, very different. So it's interesting. Um, he, this was apparently in 1820 when he was a 14-year-old boy. Now, that's interesting because he didn't reveal anything about this until a good 10 years or so later. Now, if I'd have gone into the woods and God the Father and God the Son had appeared to me, I wouldn't have been able to keep my mouth shut for 10 years or something. But, but he managed to keep this all secret from people. Again, Gordon B. Hinckley, who was the 15th president of the Mormon church, says this, our whole strength rests on the validity of that vision. It either occurred or it did not occur. If it did not, then this work is a fraud. Amen. Upon that unique and wonderful experience stands the validity of this church. So it stands or falls with the testimony of Joseph Smith. Beyond, between 1820 and 1830, he was visited by an angel called Moroni several times in various places. This angel Moroni led Joseph Smith to a place on, on a hill called Camorra where he was shown where there were some gold plates written in reformed Egyptian. Strangely, language never existed. Uh, but then nothing in Mormonism really ever existed if you look at their history. But he found these plates and then he was given the gift to translate them. Again, Mormonism, I should have had a picture of this on really. Mormonism show you a picture of him sat at a table like this. He sat here with the gold plates and there's a guy, his friend there, I think it was Martin Whitmer, I can't quite remember. But he was sat there, you know, Oliver Cowdery was the guy sat across from him. And he's just dictating it and he's writing it down. 
But in, in the earlier stories, and even according to Joseph Smith himself, he was given what were called seer stones that he put into a hat, and he put his head into a hat, and magically words appeared in this hat. But they don't show you that. But that's in their history. Strange. But we know, don't we, if an angel appears, we've got a bit of a problem. The Apostle Paul spoke about this. He said, but even if we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. So an angel appears to him and gives him a new gospel and tells him he needs to restore the church because it became apostate as soon as the apostles died out and he becomes the prophet of the restoration. Uh, A former Mormon leader, John Taylor, said this, Joseph Smith, the prophet and seer of the Lord, has done more, save Jesus only, for the salvation of men in this world than any other man that ever lived in it. More than Moses, more than Abraham, more than Paul, just behind the Lord Jesus. Brigham Young said this, he was the second president of the Mormon church. Joseph Smith holds the keys of this last dispensation and is now engaged behind the veil in the great work of of the last days. I can tell our beloved brother Christians that no man or woman in this dispensation will ever enter into the celestial kingdom of God without the consent of Joseph Smith. From, From the day that the priesthood was taken from the earth to the winding up scenes of all things, every man and woman must have the certificate of Joseph Smith Jr. as a passport to their entrance into the mansion where God and Christ are. It's amazing, isn't it? I always have this imagery. I don't know if you've ever watched X Factor, where they've got these X's. I always have this sort of idea of, of, of God the Father and Jesus and Joseph Smith, and they've all got to not press their buzzer for you to get in. That's how important they see Joseph Smith. They even sing a song about Joseph Smith. It's got a number of verses, but here's the first verse. Praise to the man who communed with Jehovah, Jesus anointed that prophet and seer, blessed to open the last dispensation, kings shall extol him and nations revere. So you can see what they think about Joseph Smith. He's a little bit important to them. Uh, this is Thomas S. Munson. He recently passed away, probably in the la- just a month ago or so. He was the 16th prophet of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And not only the, the prophets, the living prophets, but the Quorum of the Twelve are all seen as prophets, seers, and, and revelators. So it says there, a prophet is a teacher of known truth, a seer is a perceiver of hidden truth, a revelator is a bearer of new truth. Uh, the guy that replaced him, it's interesting, this is Russell M. Nelson. And he, um, he's three years older than Munson. How it, this is how it works in, in the Mormon church. It's going to be someone from what they call the Quorum of the Twelve who's going to replace the living prophet. But it's the most senior in, in terms of how long they've been an apostle within the church, um, not just how old they are. So Munson died and he was 90, and they've replaced him with a 93-year-old. So they don't believe in laying hands on people too quickly in the Mormon church. That's how it works. And the rec- and him and, and his two first, first and second counselor that he's chosen uh, will be quite hard line in their in their doctrine. We're just uh, going to look at some of these things now uh, quickly. Well, what I mean is, um, not living prophets. The living prophets, you have ones that are sort of gone a bit soft on some of the Mormon teachings. Some uh, sort of revert back to hard line stuff, and uh, and you know this is what Mormons believe and become quite um, dogmatic about about Mormon beliefs, where others have been a bit more open. Mormonism, we're just going to quickly look at some of these things. The authority of the Bible from a Mormonism point of view, the character of God, the nature of sin, the person of Christ and the way of salvation. So first of all, the authority of the Bible. What do the Mormons believe about the Bible? Well, this is what Joseph Smith said. He said, there are many things in the Bible which do not, as they now stand, accord with the revelations of the Holy Ghost to me. Oh, the Bible must be wrong then. Obviously, you know, if the Holy Ghost has told you something different, that's what he said. This is uh, one of the Mormon apostles, Neil A. Maxwell, said, By faulty transmission, many plain and precious things were taken away or kept back from reaching 
what later composed our precious Holy Bible. It's interesting that uh, this is one of the, the eighth article of the Mormon faith. We believe the Bible to be the word of God as far as it is translated correctly. We also believe the Book of Mormon to be the word of God. So that tells you everything. A good question to ask Mormon missionaries is, if you're going to enter a discussion with them, is to say, well, if you want to tell me which parts of the Bible uh, have been translated incorrectly, we'll avoid those parts in our discussion. And, of course, they can't point to any. Because like all these groups, they only discover these things are wrong in the Bible when they contradict their teaching. So if you start coming out with things from the Bible, say, well, we don't really know where that's been transmitted correctly. You know, so they make it up as they go along. In witnessing to Mormons, then, it's good for us to have a good grasp of, um, of, of the understanding of where Scripture came from and the reliability of Scripture. Because they've just been told it's been mistranslated. The fact that we've got many different Bible versions as well just doesn't help our cause any. Um, you know, because they'll say, well, this one says that and that one says that. So, but you need to sort of try and show them, give them some evidence uh, for the re- reliability of Scripture, some manuscript evidence, maybe some archaeological evidence, historical evidence, because all these things Mormon, Mormonism doesn't have for their Book of Mormon. One of the things you could ask a, a Mormon about their, their Book of Mormon, if they give you one to look at, just look through it and say, there's some maps in my Bible. Why, why are there no maps in the Book of Mormon? And they probably won't have an answer for that. You can give them an answer. Well, the reason my Bible's got maps in is because we know where everything took place. And, and I actually have been and visited some of these places and I've seen these things. But the reason there isn't a map in the Book of Mormon is because they're clueless to where any of it took place. Because there's no archaeological evidence for it. There's no historical evidence for it. And so they're trusting in this. And again, they'll start saying, well, you, you've got to believe by faith. Just by faith. Well, it's reasonable faith, surely. If there's no evidence whatsoever for the Book of Mormon, the peoples it mentions, the places it mentions, the coins it mentions, the animals it mentions, if there's nothing there for that, why on earth should I believe it to be true? There's a great DVD called The Bible Versus the Book of Mormon. I suggest if you're interested in this particular area, you can, you can look at that as well. In terms of Mormonism and the, the character of God, listen to what Joseph Smith said. He said this, God himself was once as we are now. And is an exalted man. I'm going to tell you how God came to be God. We have imagined and supposed that God was God from all eternity. I will refute that idea. God himself, the father of us all, dwelt on an earth. The same as Jesus Christ himself did. You have got to learn how to be gods yourselves. And to be kings and priests to God. The same as all gods have done before you. So Lorenzo Snow, who is the fifth prophet of the Mormon church, uh, took this idea and made it into what, what the Mormons call them, the Mormon couplet. And basically it's this, as man is, God once was. As God is, man may become. As man is, God once was. As God is, man may become. So the God of Mormonism was once a sinful man on another planet, who worked out his plan of salvation and did so well, he, he, he made it to the celestial kingdom and there he was made a God himself and he was made God over this planet. And so they believe in millions of gods because any male Mormon can become a God himself and, and have his own planet. And that's the goal for these young Mormon missionaries. And so what they'll say to us is they'll look at us as Christians and say, well, guys, you're great. You know, you, you, you've just got a missing piece of the jigsaw puzzle. So you, you guys are going to get to the terrestrial kingdom, which is like the middle kingdom. We'll talk more about this in a moment. Because, you know, you, you're good guys. You, you know, you're believing in Jesus and everything. But if you want to reach the celestial kingdom where Heavenly Father dwells, and you want to have a chance of becoming a god, then you need to follow all the laws and ordinances of the Mormon gospel. And so they're all out to become gods, these Mormon guys. It's not so good for you women. If you get to celestial kingdom, you're just going to be eternally pregnant on another planet with lots of spirit kids. That's another story. So, um, is this the God of the Bible? 
I don't think so. Okay, let's think a little bit about Mormonism and, and their idea of sin. This is an interesting verse in the Book of Mormon, in 2 Nephi 2.25. It said, Adam fell that men might be, and men are, that they might have joy. That's interesting, isn't it? Adam fell that men might be, and men are, that they might have joy. Let's read this. This is from Joseph Fielding Smith, who was the 10th president. He said, mortal life is a probationary state where we are to be tried, proved, as gold is tried in the crucible, to see if we will keep all the commandments of God. So what they actually believe is interesting is this. The fall of man came as a blessing in disguise. I never speak of, of the part Eve took in the fall as a sin, nor do I accuse Adam of a sin. It is not always a sin to transgress the law. So what Mormons believe actually is that Adam didn't fall down, he fell up. It's, it's a bizarre thing. What they believe is because of what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden, that gave the opportunity for these spirit children. We've all existed as spirit children before we came to the earth. You all know that, don't you? And uh, we all exist as spirit children. And because of the fall, then they could have children. They couldn't have children, Adam and Eve, before the fall, apparently, in Mormonism. So then these spirit children have chance of being born on the earth to work out their plan of salvation to possibly go on to become gods. So it was a good thing what happened, not a bad thing. And obviously, the Bible doesn't give room for any of this stuff, really. Romans 5, 12. Uh, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, it wasn't a good thing, it was a bad thing, and so death passed upon all men, for, uh, for that all have sinned. And in 1 Corinthians 11, 3 and 4, it talks about Eve being deceived. It doesn't say it was a good thing she did, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. So there's no room for Adam and Eve doing anything good, um, but that's what the Mormon church believe. The Mormons also believe, Joseph Smith taught, we believe that men will be punished for their own sins and not for Adam's transgression, which is Article uh, uh, 2 of the Mormon faith. Uh, and he says, it says this on LDS.org, through the atonement, the Savior paid the price for the transgression in the Garden of Eden. He has given us the assurance of a resurrection and the promise that based on our faithfulness, we can return to dwell in the presence of our Heavenly Father forever. So the atonement just dealt with the sin of, of Adam, which they don't really believe is sin anyway. But then, for us then, we're now free to be worthy based on our faithfulness of eternal life with Heavenly Father. I haven't got time to go through this illustration, but if you speak to Mormons, they, they may give you a little booklet where they're saying, it's sometimes called the plan of happiness, the plan of salvation. But I'll just mention some things very, very quickly. So you have here, we all existed as a, a spirit children in a, a pre-mortal existence with, uh, with uh, Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother, all these goddess wives. Uh, we come to the earth, but we pass through the veil of forgetfulness. So that's why we don't remember. So when I test you tomorrow morning, and you don't remember anything I've said. It's because you passed through the veil of forgetfulness. Uh, you come to you come to earth, and you are ideally to become a Mormon. Um, determine on whether you become a Mormon or not will determine where you go. Uh, if you're Mormon, you go to paradise. If you're not, you go to spirit prison, but you don't escape the Mormon missionaries there because they're there as well to try and get you up here. That's why they're baptized for the dead, because for, for Mormons, baptism is really important to salvation. So if you're not baptized uh, during your mortal life, uh, there's no uh, baptism pools in spirit prison. And so people down here get baptized for you. And if you're in there and you accept the Mormon gospel and you've been baptized there, you jump up into paradise. Woohoo! And then you go to the millennial reign of Christ, resurrection, final judgment, more chance of becoming Mormons there and determined on your, uh, what you've accepted or not accepted, uh, you go to one of these three places. This is like three-star, four-star, five-star hotels, uh, in my thinking. Joseph Smith once said of the celestial kingdom, it is so beautiful that if you saw it, you would kill yourself just to get there. 
That's the, that's the three star. Do you believe people like Hitler's going to be there? Uh, Osama bin Laden. They're, they're just going to be in that one. Uh, us guys are going to be in this one if we don't become Mormons. You can only get up there if you are a Mormon. And, uh, and to the highest, that's got three levels as well. The highest level, you can only get up there if you're married in a Mormon temple. So, yeah, so there's lots of interesting things. That's a quick overview of that. What about the person of Christ? So for Mormons, Jesus is the firstborn spirit child of our heavenly parents. So we have heavenly father, heavenly mother. They have a first child, first spirit child. It's Jesus. The second child was Lucifer. So Jesus and Lucifer are brothers. But then when you talk to them about that, they'll say, but we're all brothers and sisters, really. We're all spirit children of heavenly father and heavenly mother. But in, in sometime in the past, there was a council in heaven where they decided that there needs to be a plan of salvation for this earth. And so the gods that were there had a big discussion. They asked people what they thought. Jesus came forward with a plan to come and be the savior of the world, to die for people. And Lucifer came up and said, no, let's not bother with that. Let's just go and make them believe in you and trust in you. Uh, Jesus was accepted. Lucifer rejected. Lucifer was annoyed. He got kicked out. A third of the angels fell with him. So they can never have mortal bodies. So they can never achieve exaltation, as Mormons call it. Jesus' plan was accepted. Now, an interesting little fact here as well is there were some people that sat on the fence, as it were. So apparently there's some spirit children who didn't sort of vote one way or the other. And they were punished. And the, the way they were punished is when they take their mortal bodies, they're born black. And so that's a punishment, apparently, for, for that. And, and up until 1978, and bearing in mind Mormonism has been around, the Book of Mormon was published in 1830, up until 1978, a black person could not hold a, a priesthood role within the Mormon church. So racist. He's still in their writings. Book of Mormon talks about people who come to trust in the Lord Jesus, changing color and becoming white and delightsome. It's a racist organization. Uh, Jesus the Savior had to become mortal to live out his own plan of salvation. So the idea is, again, Jesus is the firstborn spirit child. This, this is very confusing in Mormonism. They say he was God because he was like son of God, firstborn son of God. But then in order to reach the celestial kingdom and get back to his heavenly father, he had to come and be obedient to, to the plan of salvation. A final thing as well, they're not keen on this and some will deny it, but um, it's definitely been in their teachings that Jesus is a polygamist, that he was married to uh, Mary, Martha and Mary Magdalene. It's very much within their theology, polygamy, even though the, the Mormons that we meet will n have not been polygamous since 1895. There are some fundamental groups that are still polygamous. There was a program, I was talking to Ross about it today, um, where he is. And um, I was talking to him about a program he'd watched called, I think it was Four Wives, One Husband, Channel 4. I don't know if you saw that. And um, so there's some groups that are still polygamous. The new living prophet, Russell M. Nelson, he was married um, and his marriage was sealed in the Mormon temple. So that's like for time and eternity. They don't believe that your marriage finishes at death. You, you, if you get married in the temple, then that marriage will continue into eternity. So when his wife passed away, he got remarried. So he's got a new wife now. And she's also been sealed for eternity in the temple. So he's going to have two wives when he gets to the celestial kingdom. They continue to be polygamous in the afterlife. It's interesting. What about this as well? Um, this is Joseph Fielding Smith in Doctrines of Salvation. He said, the Savior did not have a fullness at first. Talking about Jesus. But after he received his body and the resurrection, all power was given unto him, both in heaven and in earth. Although he was a God, even the Son of God, with power and authority to create this earth and other earths, yet there were some things lacking which he did not receive until after his resurrection. In other words, he had not received the fullness until he got a resurrected body. And the same is true of those who through faithfulness become sons of God. Our bodies are essential to the fullness and the continuation of the seeds forever. So he's saying that Christ lacked something. He, you know, although he, he was a God, sort of, and even the Son of God, 
he, when he came to the earth, he had to work out his plan of salvation, be obedient, and then he received the fullness. So you can see, is this the Jesus of the Bible, of, of historical, biblical, orthodox Christianity? I don't think so. Um, the way of salvation. In the Mormon church manual, true to the faith, it says this, all people eventually die, but through the atonement and resurrection of Jesus Christ, all people will be resurrected, saved from physical death. Paul testified, as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Now when you talk to Mormons about salvation, they have about six definitions of salvation. So you'll be quite clear on what you're talking about. But basically, what's being said here is universalism. The Mormons believe that everybody will be saved. Everybody will be saved. Christ died for everybody, so they're all going to be saved and end up in one of those three kingdoms. There is another kingdom on that picture, right at the bottom, called Outer Darkness. And in Outer Darkness, that's reserved for the devil and his angels, those who followed him, and for apostate Mormons. So people like Lynn Wilder, who I've mentioned, and all her family are going around preaching the gospel and saying, Jesus is enough, to Mormons, they're going to end up in outer darkness. So a worse place than Hitler, a worse place than Osama bin Laden. They, they've lost the plot. So they believe that all are going to be saved in some sense. When I, um, I fell into this trap a few times when I was, I was out in Utah talking to the Mormons there. I used the word saved a few times and it, it just confused things because they were thinking something else to me. But one of the things we did when we were out there, we went door knocking in a, in a city called Provo. Now Provo in Utah is 99% Mormon. Uh, Salt Lake City itself is probably only around about 55% Mormon. Uh, but there are certain uh, cities around there that are practically totally Mormon. So we knew we were going to knock on a door and a Mormon's going to answer. We're pretty sure of that. But we went out with this, this group of guys and they'd gone out the week before and stuck some leaflets through the door talking about salvation. So we were going back and saying, um, you know, did you get that leaflet last week? Did you have a read of it? And they're just like us. You know, they were like, what leaflet? I didn't see the leaflet. No. So we said, oh, well, have a look at it. Here's another one and everything. But the whole point is to challenge them on how a person is saved. And it was really good. If you ever want to go out there, I'm hoping to go out again this year. I'd love to go again. But you get away with it a little bit more because you're English. Uh, you know, because you, you're different. So I was going along and I was saying, look, you know, I'm, I'm, from, I'm from the UK and I um, hope you can understand me. I'm from this uh, blessed place called Yorkshire. And uh, yeah, obviously. And they said, we've heard that's where, that's where God dwells. That's what they said to me, yeah. And um, yeah, they'd heard of it. Celestial kingdom. And, um, and I said, look, there's, there's a real danger for me while I'm here in the States because you guys drive on the wrong side of the road. So there's a real chance as I'm crossing the road, I'm going to get knocked down and killed. But you know what? If I did, it's okay. Because I know I'm going to be immediately with Heavenly Father when that happens. It's good to use their terms as well. Don't talk about God. Say Heavenly Father where you can. Use their terms. I'm going to be with Heavenly Father. If you got knocked down today, would you go to be with Heavenly Father? And there's no assurance. Because, well, I don't know. I've got to do all these laws and ordinances of the Mormon gospel and I haven't been to the temple or, you know, I've not had my marriage sealed in the temple. I haven't been through the endowment ceremonies. I'm not wearing my secret underwear. I mean, secret underwear or whatever it might be. You know, so they don't have assurance. And that's what we find with all these groups, isn't it? Other religions, other cults, what they lack is assurance because they never know whether they've done enough. We heard Vinnie talking about the Roman Catholic Church. Never assured. Don't know. And it's the same for Mormons. So we were challenging with that thought. I haven't got long left, so I want to um, just get on to uh, this bit, really. Uh, speaking to Mormons. Put your hand up if you ever had a chat with Mormon missionaries. Oh, great. You guys know how to do it. It's great. So everything I tell you, you just ignore and just do what you're doing. Um, I, I trust you'll find, as I've been suggesting, that it's easy to talk to Mormon missionaries. One of the things that you find with Mormon missionaries is that they've probably come from another country. They're away from home. Um, they're missing their parents. You know, things have just changed for Mormon missionaries. Up until recently, once they've left, there's no contacts with home. And, um, but now it's changed. I noticed actually that a Mormon missionary I'd been witnessing to, he popped up on Facebook and I thought, how's this? And I got in touch with him and he said, oh, on a Monday now, which is our day off to do all our laundry and everything, we're allowed to use 
the social media to share the gospel. So they're, they're sharing their, their falsehood on social media. On a Monday, they're putting it on and everything. And they can, they can message some family members, apparently. But, you know, it's strictly monitored and everything. Because they come a long way from home. And they're lonely. They're in, they're in the UK. I mean, imagine if they end up in Lancashire. I mean, it's just, it's just going to be terrible, isn't it? One of the things, I went over to uh, the Mormon pageant at Chorley in Lancashire um, last year. And uh, they did the history of... Uh, of Mormonism in the UK. And they said when Mormonism hit this country, it arrived in Preston. So they were talking about that. And I, I was talking to my friend who I was with. I said, well, you see, that's why it took a hold in this country. Because if it had been in Yorkshire, we'd have just rejected it. But in Lancashire, it took a hold. And um, but they, So, so the, these Mormon missionaries, they're a long way from home. So if you show kindness to them, you know, you say, well, do you want to come in and have a chat? Don't ask them if they want a coffee, because they don't drink tea and coffee. But they love hot chocolate. I've discovered that. You know, you see them on the street and say, can you come to Costa? I'll buy you a hot chocolate. They'll come. They'll talk to you. And you're befriending them. And again, one of the things you don't want to be seen as, but it's, it's hard depending on how you approach things. You don't want to be seen as a, what they call anti-Mormon. You know, and so yeah, I'm not anti-Mormon. You know, I'm just a concerned Christian for you. And I love you. And that's why I'm sharing these things with you. And ask them about their family. Ask them about their home life. Ask them what they want to do in the future. And just get to know them and befriend them. And then just open up and share things with them. I'm just going to show you one or two things you can share with them. Um, just I've already mentioned that um, the Book of Mormon uh, contradicts Mormonism. Mormonism contradicts the Bible. The Bible contradicts them both. And it's all this kind of stuff going on. But, you know, one of the questions we were asking guys out in Utah, the Mormons we were meeting in Manti, is we asked them if they believed in Moroni 8.18. Do you believe in Moroni 8.18? And some of them knew what that said. Others had to open the Book of Mormon to, to see it. But it says this. It says, For I know that God is not a partial God, neither a changeable being, but he is unchangeable from all eternity to all eternity. For I know that God is not a partial God, neither a changeable being, but he is unchangeable from all eternity to all eternity. Do you believe in Moroni 8.18? And they always say, yeah, it's in the Book of Mormon. I believe that's true. And you say, well, I believe that's true as well, because it sounds very much like a verse in the Bible. Psalm 90, verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Again, try, if you can, if you're able, try and use the King James Version with them. That's what they're familiar with. And you say, it's very similar, isn't it? What's it, what's it actually saying in these two verses here? That God is unchangeable. He's, he's never changed from all eternity to all eternity. From everlasting to everlasting, he's been God. Do you agree? And they'll say, yeah, we agree. We agree with that. Well, so, well then you must disagree with your prophet, Joseph Smith. Because he said... We have imagined and supposed that God was God from all eternity. I will refute that idea and take away the veil so that you may see. And he goes further on in the red there. He was once a man like us. So what you're doing is you're pitting uh, their prophet, Joseph Smith, with the book of, uh, against the Book of Mormon. And you get them to see the contradiction. There. Now, there are loads of these. I haven't got time to show you all these tonight. But if, if you email me, I can send you more of these examples where the Book of Mormon contradicts Mormonism, where living prophets have contradicted each other. General authorities have contradicted things. Where they, they've changed things in the Bible. They have a Bible. It's a, the JST, the, the Joseph Smith translation. He just started changing it himself. Some of the fundamentalist groups use that Bible, see that as the true Bible. So there, there are lots of these things. So do you believe in Moroni 8.18? Well, yeah. Well, what does the Bible say about God? Because Joseph Smith said, there are many gods. You Mormons say there are many gods. What does the Bible? And I like to, again, use a word that's familiar to them, the word testimony. So I will say something like, well, look, this is God's testimony to us. This is what God says to us. It's his testimony to us. Isaiah 43.10 Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me, and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. That's God's testimony to us. Let's look at something else, Isaiah 44, 6. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, and I am the last, 
and beside me there is no God. Let's look at further testimony, just a few verses on. Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have I not told thee from that time and have declared it? If ye are even my witnesses, is there a God besides me? Yea, there is no God, I know not any. So God's testimony to us is that he doesn't know of any other gods. So why do you believe in lots of gods? Sometimes they'll come out with things like, well, he's just a God of this world. But there's gods in other stuff like that. But let the word of God speak to them. Let the word of God speak to them. Just a couple more things and then finally a few questions. So it's my favorite picture from Utah. That's the Manti uh, Temple there. And on this, on this grassland here is where they do this massive production. And down here there's just loads of seating and stuff. But fancy having that right outside there. That's brilliant, isn't it? Uh, final thing, um, just for you to consider. Speaking to Mormons. Um, share the truth in love. Share, be, be concerned for their salvation. Um, you don't have to be hard on them. It's like with people in all these cults. It's what's behind them is the problem. It's not them. The Mormons have stood on your door. They've been deceived. And they're following an organization, a devil-inspired organization, that's leading them away from salvation, not towards it. So share the truth in love. Share your testimony with them. Talk about assurance of salvation. It's really important with cultists, particularly JWs and Mormons. But to share your testimony, well, let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. I know my sins are forgiven. I know that I'm going to be in heaven one day with, with the Father. I have an assurance. I know that's true. Because these guys are desperately looking for what we have. They just don't know how to get there. So let's, let's share our testimony and share the gospel with them. You know, there's no clever techniques with this stuff or anything, really. I wish there was, you know, that I could just come along and say, do this, this and this. The Mormons will fall on their knees and accept Christ. Hallelujah. It's not that, but we just share the real gospel with them. Tell them about the Lord Jesus and what he did for them. Ask them to read the Bible. Just a, a final thing. Micah Wilder, um, when he got saved, the challenge he got from a Baptist minister, he knocked on this Baptist minister's door, um, the, the, they were discussing all kinds of stuff. And just as he was leaving, the Baptist minister said to Micah, Micah, just go away. And I just want you to read the New Testament like a little child. And he went away and he began reading the New Testament. And through reading it, he got saved and found the real Jesus. And like I said, I'd love to have him here. He's brilliant. He cries every time he shares his testimony. Because to have been in a group like that, where it's so controlling... Utah is it's an amazing place. But it's, uh, as again I was sharing with Ross today, it's not about a cult, it's about a culture. The whole culture is Mormon. You, you, your family is Mormon. Your work colleagues are Mormon. You aspire when you go back, like these Mormon missionaries are speaking to recently, they go back, oh, we're going to BYU. We're going to Brigham Young University. It's all set out for them. It's all the path there. They're going to have loads of kids, more than the Osmonds. Because uh, the more kids they have, obviously, the more spiritual and they're given a chance of, of living out the plan of salvation. So it's all mapped out for them. But for, for Micah, just to find that actually Jesus is enough. That's all we need, Jesus. And praise God for that.